The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Hear the full show on our app, by podcast, or on 96FM.ie. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. The attack on all your senses from minute one. It was incredible. Don't just hand over this life. Educate yourself. I welcome anything that will help to protect the children further. You know. The same speed we get from them. Very little respect. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. <laughs> you nearly caught me there. You nearly caught me there. Did you spot us? Did you spot the April Fool's joke in the news? If you didn't, I'm not going to tell you. Did you spot it though? I did. You nearly caught. You nearly caught me. I was getting saying they're going to do what? And then I realised some pretty lame ones in the papers this morning uh, for April first. It used to be a huge thing. We used to plan these things for weeks and weeks and weeks, and you'd, you'd rope in someone to help you with it. You might even rope in a politician or an impersonator to help you with it. But I just wonder if the gloss has gone off. April Fool's Day. That, that having been said, I suppose some people will try and catch me now before 12 o'clock. That's the challenge. It might have looked like one if it appeared today, but I think that's a great line in the Garda memo. Guards are allowed to have beards now. This came out yesterday. If it came out this morning, I would have said, no, that's a bit off. But it came out yesterday. Guards are allowed to have beards now for the first time ever. But... <laughs> There's an email has been sent out. I think this is brilliant. I think it's just great. It says, if your beard... (laughs) The guards have been told to admit defeat if your beard resembles a badly watered lawn in a heat wave. In other words, if you're struggling to grow a beard, just stop and shave. I'll read you more from that in a while. On a more serious note, though, uh, your front page is loaded with it today. And Eamon Ryan yesterday was talking about how we might bring down the cost of electricity for people. You see where Vladimir Putin, it's there in the news, might turn off the pipes if we don't pay for gas in rubles. Germany being the the biggest customer in in the EU, uh, if we don't pay for his gas in rubles... The what page? R- rubles, Russian money. Uh, if we don't pay for it in rubles, well, he could cut off the gas. Now, whether he'll do it, nobody seems to know for sure, but we have to think about it. And then there's this survey that comes out, um, conducted by the Irish Daily Mail and Amorach, the polling people. It's stating the bleeding obvious, I guess, but I suppose there it is now in black and white. 55% of the public struggling to pay their gas and electric bills. And uh, journalist Sean O'Driscoll, this survey carried out before the news on Monday that Electric Ireland were hiking up their prices. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. It's, as I say, it is kind of stating the obvious, but it's there now in black and white. People are already struggling and we're only in April and this is going to get a lot worse before it gets any better. Yeah, well, I I suppose it was important as well to kind of get a a regional flavor for it and also age groups and and income, uh, how they're they're struggling and how they're adapting to rising inflation. You know, for example, like that the highest highest concern is among 45 to 54-year-olds, 69% of them say that they're they're struggling to pay their bills. So that's nearly 70%. That's, uh, That's a very high figure for that age group. Yeah. 
and also uh, households with average incomes, middle income families really struggling. They are, yeah. They they are far more likely to be the ones who are going to adapt their behaviour, for example, by switching to cheaper products in, in the grocery or struggling with their bills. But interestingly, we found that households with €60,000 or more per year were more likely to ask for a pay increase because of inflation, even though they were suffering less. So in other words, they were the ones who were the higher earners are the ones who are then going to their boss and saying, oh, because of inflation, I want to rise. Not mm. the ones who are, you know, switching to store brands to save money, that kind of thing. Yeah. Maybe that is, Sean, because people who are in that earning bracket sometimes are more likely to get an increase than some poor devil trying to put in the hours in the local supermarket. Oh, absolutely, yeah. They would have far more bargaining power um, than, than a minimum wage worker who's struggling, no question about it, yeah. Your paper also looking at, at what might happen as a result of this. Eamon Ryan certainly making noises about things like time of day pricing and all of that. But concern for the rest of the year, I mean, this isn't going to get any better anytime soon. No, certainly not. I mean, if Vladimir Putin is insisting on rubles, then that's really going to push it to Europe. Um, considering that we get more than a third of our gas from from Russia. And then that's on top of everything else. You know, we have, uh, the survey was taken before Electric Ireland increased their prices. Yeah. And and Electric Ireland are are one of the best in the market in terms of buying energy well in advance, a year in advance. Yeah. So it, 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 it doesn't look good for other energy companies for the rest of the year, that's for sure. Like, this is the thing, and this is an important point. Like, the electricity that we're buying now from Electric Ireland is being generated using fuel that was bought a year or maybe more ago. So given the price of fuel now, they're buying for next year. So more increases look very likely, don't they? They do, because, I mean, there's a whole giant market, derivatives market, uh, futures market, and they seem to know a lot more than we do. Uh, that's their whole business. And they certainly seem to be predicting that there are going to be significant energy increases next year, and they're, they're banking on that. So uh, it's hard to see a way out for the energy companies. Uh, we, I think we can expect more energy prices rises in the next year. Yeah, The hope is, of course, that the EU will come good on an agreement that we can just cut the VAT, cut taxes to, to compensate people, but we've time to wait for that. Another big issue, it's on all, all the papers this morning, Eamon Ryan talking about the possibility of time of day pricing. Now, this is where, depending on the time of day you use power, it's less or more expensive. Some people can't get their head around that. Like, Why are you going to be using more electricity at three o'clock in the morning anyway? Yeah, I mean, some of the energy companies already have that built into their system, but this would make it mandatory that all energy companies would have to give that discount. Um, as Eamon Ryan was saying, it, it, it would give the power back to the consumer to decide if they want to do that. So people people on lower income are far more likely to, to use off-peak electricity to save money. Um, Whereas people on high income won't really care. They'll simply switch on the washing machine or the kettle, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But at least it will force the energy companies to allow people to make the decision themselves on whether they want to hold off.
so that, that you know that might give savings. He's also saying as well that he was being asked by a reporter whether they would consider reducing the uh, speed limits so that cars would be more fuel efficient. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it's hard to see. I, I don't know. It's hard to see the, the public accepting that um, that we all drive at the optimal speed, if whatever that is. I don't know what it is. Maybe. 90 or 100 kilometers an hour. Mm. Mm. He, he, like, as someone said to me when he said that a few weeks ago, he is, of course, right. But the chances of it actually happening. Exactly. You know, you want to need, uh, I mean, would it be in a situation where the guards are going to lose um, some public support or credibility? Because are they really going to enforce it? Are they going to be out in the motorway, you know, making sure you don't go more than 100 kilometers an hour? that kind of thing it'd be very hard to enforce absolutely almost impossible to enforce it actually you have to change every speed limit in the country to replace all the signs you know you'd have an awful job to to do it but as as was said recently he is right but doing it is, is another thing absolutely I mean there's been talk for a long time that speed controls that are already in a lot of cars would become mandatory so that um, you would fix it in your car and let the car do all the, the work the technology do all the work in terms of what the optimal speed in the car is but relying on the public to do it might be very difficult because legally as you say unless they change the signs of the road somebody could always say well the side of the road says it was 120 therefore I was just following the rules of the road as I saw them and you know then you'd have to spend millions changing all the signs and it get very complicated yeah, and plus, when the crisis is over, you need to change them all back again when we go back to traffic normally, you know. On the, the whole peak and off-peak, Sean, before I let you go, like, some people already benefit from that, like people who have storage heaters in their homes and offices, they benefit from that. People who work by night benefit from that. But I think the worries they'd have then would be that the peak, like, companies don't like losing money. So if you have to offer off-peak pricing and time-of-day pricing. So if it costs, and we'll bring it down to very brass tacks, if it costs a euro to run the dishwasher at 2 a.m., it'll become three euro to wash the dishwasher at 3 p.m. They'd be afraid of that. Yes, yeah. Well, I suppose Airgrid warned that eight times last year the, the national grid came to its very peak of what it, what it could possibly endure and nearly broke down. We nearly had eight break, uh, blackouts last year. Yeah. So the idea was would be take some of that pressure off and put it somewhere else. But the government would have to be very careful in the pricing to make sure that there isn't price gouging that, you know, if, it, if it's one euro at three o'clock in the morning, then the energy companies don't do an opportunistic thing and then rise prices during during peak times or something like that, you know? Yeah, it's an interesting one, but certainly your survey is stark. Like as a, a stating, I think, what we all know, but stating it very clearly, and that middle-income families in particular and low-income families starting to feel very squeezed even before the squeeze has, has gotten into its... gotten into its stride. Sean, thank you. Sean O'Driscoll, journalist from the Irish Daily Mail. Are you worried about your your energy bills? I said before I moved, I did this thing with Bonkers and there's other websites available. I did this thing with us last November as I sat down and I moved everything over onto a, a new tariff. And yeah, I'm benefiting from it. I can see it. Now, the, the price rises will still affect me, but because of the 
bonuses and stuff that I'm, I'm okay. But I'm worried. I'm going to get a kick very soon from my bills. Um, and I'm just wondering what... If you're, and I've said it before, like we're lucky in my house. We've two decent incomes coming in, we've two decent jobs. Like we're happy, we're lucky, we're privileged in that regard. I feel very, very much for people who are struggling, for people for whom the electricity is already a problem and the gas is already a problem. It's just going to get an awful lot worse for them. And it's very, it's very, very hard to imagine how people are going to. Hi, PJ. Why would the Gardaí be enforcing lower speed limits? All Eamon Ryan said was for people to drive slower, not that they're changing the speed limits. True, true, it's, it's, it's a point. But you see, the thing about that is they're saying at the moment that they're not forcing people to wear masks. They're saying it's your choice to wear masks. And people are choosing, an awful lot of them, not to wear masks. So if you ask people to cut their speed, you ask them to cut their speed. Well, some of them will, some of them won't. If you force them to cut their speed, then they'll have to. Do you know what I mean? Oh, oh, I don't know. I'd like to enlarge on PJ's point that high earners get the wage increases. I think a bigger problem is the decision makers, the ministers, the TDs and semi-state executives don't really feel it either. That's why they're so blasé about having massive increases in fuel and requiring expensive insulation and so on. It's not until you feel the pain that you know what it's like. Someone in my family got the air-to-water heating system done by the electric pump and all the things in the house now electric. The bills were gone through the roof. Now she's getting solar panels, and they're brilliant. They were expensive, but they were worth the money. Kevin says, here's a mind-blowing idea. Legally bind energy companies to be obliged to put customers on the lowest tariff they offer. And that's not April. April. Do you know what, Kevin? That's been said. I read that in one of the newspapers. Someone has suggested that. Every company has an entry-grade tariff. So if you move your supplier from one to the other, you'll get an introductory price. And the idea would be everyone gets that introductory price for at least 12 months. So as if you'd moved. So we put everyone, everyone on the introductory price for 12 months. It's a good idea. It's a good idea. Will it happen? Who knows? What are you doing yourself? What are you doing yourself? How are you sorting the electricity, the gas? Are you worried about it? Um, are you drop, fearing the bill dropping on the mat or lending in your email because you genuinely don't know what's going to happen with it I've seen a lot of people people I know sort of tweeting pictures of their electricity bill and going sweet lord look at that gas bills sweet divine look at that and here we are now at a cold spell which means that the heating is going to be going on again uh, in, like we, we got to a point last weekend where I put it on the evening to heat the water for the bath or the whatever. But now we're back heating on again at home. And that's this is it's it's getting very serious. It is getting terribly, terribly serious, and something is gonna have to be done. We accept, I guess, those of us with brains in our heads, we accept that the government cannot pay for everything. There are no forest of money trees. But they also are paid very well to protect us and protect those among us who need protecting. So you've got to balance the two. 0818 96, 96, 96. Have you tried to move 
have you gone on some place like Bonkers or other ones to try to move, to try to get a deal? And if you have, how did it work out for you? 0818969696. And when you go shopping, are you walking along the aisle and going, okay, well, there's, say, for argument's sake, there's, look, there's, I need milk and I need bread. So am I going to get the branded milk and the branded bread? Or am I going to go around the corner and get the own brand milk and the own brand bread? And the own brand milk might not actually be local milk. It might have been brought in from someplace else, but it's a euro 20 and the local milk font. Better expression is 220. Am I making those kind of choices? Do you know? Antoinette says there's no consideration for people with additional needs who rely on electricity for equipment to keep their loved ones alive. 3250 off a monthly bill if they get the household benefits package. Isn't worth anything now with the price of electricity. And Antoinette, you're right. And I'm thinking as well of people, for example, who need heating all the time. I mean, we're fine, healthy adults in my house. We can afford to have the heating off. None of us need to be kept warm. But but if you have someone in the house who needs to be warm, an elderly relative or someone who's sick and can't get up and get around and suffers from the cold, you need them to be warm. You need the heating. There's an awful lot of small tragedies waiting to happen here. It's, it's horrible. Really horrible. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 0818 96 96 96. On Quartz 96 FM. Yeah, there's a message that says, I haven't put the heating on in four weeks. I have had to take on another job and I am still struggling. And you see, the thing about the other job, the thing about the other job is you get taxed more. So... You, it, it, that defeats itself sometimes. If you take on a second job, take on more work, you just end up paying more tax, which doesn't solve anything. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Now Thomas Gould of Sinn Fein, Deputy Thomas Gould. I'll talk to you in a second, Thomas, about the waiting list in gynecology because I know that's what you want to talk to me about. But cost of living. Uh, I'm very worried about ordinary people. As I said before, Thomas, you know, we're lucky in my house. We have two decent incomes and fairly stable ones at that. You know, we can sustain a certain amount. Not a, not, not a huge amount, but we can sustain a certain amount. I'm thinking of families that are barely sustaining it as it is. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Yes, and um, like, I'm the same, PJ. I have a good wage. My wife works. We, we have a good income. But for a lot of people, um, a lot of people on middle incomes and lower incomes, they're really struggling. And you made a point earlier as I listened to your your comments about protecting. Like, we know the government doesn't have a money tree out the back. But what the government must do is they must protect people who are vulnerable. They must protect people. Like, people have made decisions to go coal, to wrap up in jumpers and cardigans trying to keep down their energy bills and the government have a responsibility and Peter does things they could have done no it wouldn't have stopped the increases but it would have helped to, like 
we're looking at a carbon tax increase now on the 1st of May. So we're looking at more, the bills increasing. Mm. Like, we could have done more on the fuel. The fuel allowance is a great way to get money to people who are, and target the money at the people who need it the most. And save it the cost of living payments. And like, we've been talking for five months about the government going to Europe and negotiating uh, a reduction in VAT. Mm-hmm. No, two weeks ago, the government have done it. Like, a lot of people have struggled over the last three or four months. And, like, I'm around the place. I'm on the ground. Um, people are people are really struggling, uh, PJ. They're mm-hmm. really... Um, they're looking at their families now, your parents. Uh, and they're making really tough choices. And, well, like, we talk about people with disabilities, people who are ill... Like, they need to be warm in their homes. They need to have food in their presses. And, like, the government need now to step up. Like, they're talking about... Um, they're stepping up, Thomas. No, we must accept that. Everything's got to be done no, two ways. It's got to be done in a way that's actually legal because of all the rules imposed on us by the EU. But it's also got to be done in a way that's economically sustainable, no matter what you do. Is that not a fact? But, but Peter, if you're a home now today with your children and you don't have the money to heat the house, and you don't have money to go to the shop and get the things your kids mm-hmm. need, right? Those are the people that need to be protected. Mm-hmm. We are one of the richest countries in the world. In the world, we are one of the richest countries. And the most... There, there's families out there, no, PJ. You see, when people talk about the cost of living, it's not just uh, elderly people, people with disabilities, people on social welfare. This is affecting people oh, yeah. who can have two jobs, a mortgage. This isn't about uh, just as true as a few anymore. No, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of smallies, Tom. I'm thinking yeah. of smallies who got up this morning and had their breakfast in a cold kitchen. In a cold house. Because mum yeah. and dad, yeah. even though they're working and even though they're okay, everything's all right, they've decided not to turn the heating on in the mornings so the kids are going out, yes, they're going out fed, but they're going out cold because the house was cold. They could see their breath and they woke up. Yeah, and please, the thing about it is your family's now getting deeper and deeper into debt because they're trying to keep the, the heating on. They're trying to pay these electricity and gas bills. Like, please, the government have done anyone with home heating oil is absolutely being destroyed. And the reason I know that so well is my own mother-in-law has it, right? The government have done nothing for people with home heating. No, that's a huge issue for, for especially for all the people who would have that system in. And like you're saying, it has to be sustainable. But if you're worried about turning on heating on a freezing cold morning, you're not worried you about either. sustainability. That's true. And That's true. PJ, at the end of the day, right, you always give people a voice on your show. And I've been listening to your show and you're talking about it this morning. People are looking for the government to solve all the problems. It's just that people need help now. Yeah. A small bit of help now will go a long way. The carbon tax is the next one. This is the 1st of April. Uh, the carbon tax increase, they say... They insist, and the Green Party in particular, and I'll call them for this, they're wedded to it, wedded and bedded to it. They say there is no way that they can cancel the increase in the carbon tax. Well, that just shows you how out of touch the Green Party are from ordinary working families. That's a government government policy. They say they can't do it. PJ, we don't oppose it. But what we are saying is we're in the middle of an emergency crisis now. Yeah, put it back for right? a while. 
let, let's postpone it. Give people a chance. Okay. Like, can you explain to people? Can Aaron Ryan come onto your radio station and explain to people how he's putting up their energy costs, no. their diesel, their fuel? When people can't afford to pay what they're paying, no, it's it's a fair one. It's it's a fair one, Tom. I, I I'm caught yeah. for time because I have somebody waiting, and I know you want to talk about the waiting lists at CUMH. Waiting lists for gynecological treatment much higher than we would have thought. Last year, Pisa, we had one thousand twelve hundred thirty-four on the waiting list in the CUMH. This year, it's up to two thousand seven hundred forty-one. So what you have there is an extra 1,500 more than double. And what we are looking for is we need a plan from the government. Stephen Donnelly said last year, the minister, he was going to give us one, right? Now, behind every one of these figures is an actual woman who is waiting to get an appointment. And what you have is these are really critical appointments because... If these are missed or if these are delayed, the consequences it can have. So what we are saying to the minister, they need funding, they need resources, because these women cannot left be loyalists for years because, God forbid, someone misses or gets a delayed diagnosis. Yeah. Yeah. So we are looking for a plan for COMH. Okay. All right. You know, we might talk about it again. I appreciate that um, you want to talk more about that, but... We're in the middle of the cost of living crisis and waiting lists involve spending more money in the middle of a cost of living crisis too. Thank you, Thomas. Thomas Gould, Sinn Féin TD for Cork North Central. Anybody got any ideas that actually could be done? This thing about the carbon, and I'm, very rarely I'll say I think anyone is spot on here. This idea that we have to increase the carbon tax again in May. This idea that we have to I'm calling BS on that. Because during the pandemic, the very early days, we learned we don't have to do anything. And if we want to do something, we can do it. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. 96 FM has a shiny new phone number. 0818 96 96 96. Save it to your phone now. Save it to your phone now. 0818 96 96 96. The new number to call Hello? Corks 96 FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 83 On Quartz 96FM. Now, tomorrow, the 2nd of April, is World Autism Day. And the whole month of April is Autism Awareness Month. And we will be focusing on various elements of that across the month ahead. But Derville of Burke O'Connor, uh, of Crystal Swing fame, um, when a well-known voice, as it were, joins a campaign like Getting Places for Kids with Autism. It helps, but Derville, it doesn't hide your own pain. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. And before I start, I just want to thank you for having me on the show. I actually love listening to you every morning, PJ, when I'm dropping my daughter to to, to preschool. So um, I'm delighted to be on the show this morning. 
But um, no, as you said, Peter, you know, it, it's, it is difficult, you know, and, and initially before I spoke out about all of this, myself and my husband discussed the matter regarding what steps we should take yeah. to get support for our desperate situation. And so I then just decided to go public to the media about it. And, yeah. you know, of course, going public was a last resort. But unfortunately, we were left with no other option but to highlight the situation in which we yeah. find ourselves. And, um, you know, I initially spoke out about it to to uh, make the public and, of course, mo most importantly, our state aware of what is really going on behind closed doors for families with special needs children. And PJ, I would go so far to say that it's an absolute hidden shame in Ireland and an unspoken truth. And, you know, I, I was hesitant to speak about it at the start, but I'm so glad I did now because I have been inundated with emails and calls from parents who feel exhausted. They feel isolated and alone. And, you know, I, I can resonate with all of that. It can feel like nobody cares. And, you know, many express to me that they don't know where to turn for help. So I, I think the public, of course, needs to be educated. But number one, our state and our government needs to be aware and and educated on the challenges that people with autism and their families face on a daily basis. No, I could fill an entire week if I decided to, do it, to, to devote it to the parents that have come to me and us at the, mm, as a team. I can imagine. We could fill it because... Now, there, now, it's improving a bit, but slowly and in piecemeal fashion. Like, you're in East Cork. Yeah. East Cork is a black yeah. spot. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're in Middleton here. There's no special school in East Cork. And again, this is a problem nationally. And you mentioned there, PJ, that things are improving. No, that is what we are led to believe. Yeah. Um, you, know, um, you know, we're constantly being told uh, how much the government is putting into this and that and this disability sector. And it all sounds fantastic. And it sounds <laughs> wonderful. You know, we're receiving these services on paper. Until and, you try to actually but access But I tell it. you, PJ, yeah. it's a joke where the, these services are non-existent. And whatever money the government is investing in, I can certainly say that my family and all these other families aren't seeing a cent of it. PJ, it's a joke. Well, I'll tell you something now. I mean, we're a long way down the road. My boy is nearly 25 now, and, and, and mm. thankfully he's settled in a very good adult service, and we're delighted with it. But all through his years, every move of his education was a struggle and a battle yeah. and a fight. And when I hear of someone now with a new diagnosis, like when I heard that you had little Paul, I felt for you. Yes. And I feel I for anybody that is getting a diagnosis because they, apart from dealing with the diagnosis and its impact on their family, trying to get into the bloody educational system is crazy. Crazy. It's crazy. It's, it's, um, it's stressful. It's heartbreaking. You know, you don't know. You're hanging on, on a leash. You don't know what is going on. Um, and look, PJ, whether a child has special needs or not, they are just as important as any of us. And we, are, we should all be entitled to an mm. education. It's a constitutional right. And, you know, it's, it does not seem right that there is a question mark over our children's education. To think, I still don't know what is going to happen with my own child 
um, come September. Yeah. And so many more families out there are, are feeling the exact same thing. Yeah. And, you know, for, for you know, obviously I, I, I am speaking on behalf of all families in our situation, but but from for our own family's perspective, my child needs an education in a special school until he is 18. And like your own son, should he require it, he should then seamlessly transition onto adult services for the duration of his life. All of these children require essential therapies such as speech and language therapy and occupational therapy. Mm. It is essential for their progress. Mm -hmm. Families should also be entitled to respite care because it is a 24-7 job, 365 days a year. It never stops. And until you live through it, PJ, mm -hmm. as you know yourself, you cannot understand it. And, mm -hmm. you know, we need reassurance also, again, should Paul require it in the future, that he will have access to residential care with proper care and support mm. in the event of, you know, the two of us having a car accident, myself yes. and Tim, we could get sick in the morning. Morning, a family yes. crisis yes. should occur. And that's, and that's something that as a parent, that's a something that parents lose sleep over. And I think you're great to voice yeah. that because parents of kids like Paul, they lose sleep over it. What happened if one of us got sick? The other comparison, and I'm sure you're seeing it now because I'm sure being as a young mom, you've got friends who also have five-year-olds who also are starting school in September. Mm. And here's one enormous comparison, Dervla. Their kids know where yes. they're going. Right now, that's first it. day of April, they know where that child is going. You don't. And that's not right. No. No. And, you know, when it, when it will come to my my daughter as well, she's actually a year younger than Paul. When, like we, we often say, when her time comes, when she will go to school, she'll walk in the gates of her school and that is it. And you already know you what know, school she'll go to, don't you? Yes, of course. Like we, we, there's, there's not even a worry there. We know she will get her education, but you know she is. Of course, she is entitled to that, as yes. is every other child. But, uh, but children like Paul are just as important, and that is where the downfall is. Um, PJ, children like him, they're not getting the support and most certainly the respect that they deserve from our state, from the health service, and from public representatives. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I actually would go so, so far to say that that, um, you know, people working for the, the HSE and the, the various other support teams actually need a bit of educating themselves um, because I, at this point, I'm weary and exhausted. I'm repeat, I'm like a broken record from repeating myself over and over and again. Mm. And I, I sometimes feel like I'm being a bit of a pain in the backside. You know, I'm, I'm the one causing uh, problems, but I continue cause to them, get Dervila. incorrect information. Cause them. Cause those problems. I've been yes. saying to, to parents for years, get yourself a degree. And they say, what? Get a degree mm. in being a pain in the arse. Don't go away. <laughs> yeah. Don't accept no. Don't accept we can't. And keep going. Yeah. And I, I, I tell you this much now. I, I'm delighted that someone as high profile as yourself has joined this. Obviously, yeah. I'm not delighted that you have you know, to deal with a disability in the household, it changes everybody's life. And, and I feel mm. for you with, with, with the things that, that, that you're going to have to go through. But you are a, a voice and a loud one. 
Yes, and you know, this is certainly not for my own public gain at all, PJ, but I'm, you know, I will do anything. I would jump off a building in the morning if I had to for my child. So I am more than happy to to use whatever platform that I have to be able to speak out about it. And, you know, you know, a lot of people are happy that I am too. So it's given me the push and the encouragement now to keep going. And, I, and I'm not going to stop now until until change will hopefully happen in this country. Mm -hmm. Um, I do have a a meeting next week with uh, Minister Anne Rabit, and I do plan to outline my concerns to her. And I have been in communication with the Taoiseach via email, but I will be pushing for a personal meeting in the coming weeks, PJ. and, And I hope that that will happen because, you know, as you mentioned, it's really the people on the ground and parents like myself that really, we really know what's going on and we should be listened to because we are the voice for our children. And, you know, our these ministers, I want a commitment from them to meet personally with parents like myself to address the real issues mm. and the real concerns that we have, you know, and, and change has to happen now. You know, right. this has been going on for years and years and years. I'm hearing it from so many parents who have adult children and I cannot believe that we are now in 2020 and we're still in the same place here in Ireland. Well, I started when my boy was around the same age as your boy is now. We made a decision as a family, myself and and, and my wife. We said, look, we're going to use my position to make Mm. noise. And, And I remember having the privilege of speaking at many events, invited to speak about it. And I used to turn to the same people, the ministers in the room, and I'd say, you know what, lads? Remember this, we have forgotten more about our children than you'll ever know. Listen to yeah. us. Listen to the parents. Listen to the parents. And if, we, if there's one message, and it's the start of Autism Awareness Month, and we'll be touching yes. upon it quite a bit on the Opinion Line over the next 30 days. If there's one thing we want them to do is listen to the parents. That is, ju- that's it in a nutshell, PJ. That is the point that needs to be brought across. We are just, as parents, maybe we, we're not qualified on, on paper or we, we haven't got it all out of a book, but you know what? You could be reading out of books for your life. We've you forgotten more about our children thing. than they'll ever know. Absolutely. They are, they are forgotten. They are the forgotten people, the voiceless people who cannot speak for themselves, are vulnerable members in society. And, you know, they're, they're treated like second class citizens, PJ. And, you know, that should not be the case. So I'm, I'm delighted that, that I, I, I get the platform to speak on your show this morning about this. And, um, you know, I've also, I was very privileged actually on Wednesday that I, I was able to speak at the Aviva Stadium in Dublin. Um, the charity, As I Am, were, mm-hmm. were launching Autism Awareness Month. And I spoke on a panel with some very inspiring speakers. And some of these speakers are actually autistic themselves. That's right. And I was so humbled that I was asked to speak with such an amazing calibre of people. Um, Miriam McCallaghan actually hosted this event and as I am they're, they're seeking to break barriers yeah. that are there when well, trying to access services well, I, I, I'm, I'm hoping to speak to Adam Harris from as I am at some point over the coming days and weeks. Dervla I wish you well. I really hope you get the news that you're waiting for soon. It's just one piece of news. You'll be waiting for a lot of news over the years to come. I know the news you want 
You want a simple, simple thing like a school place for your little boy. I really hope that news comes soon. Good to speak with you, and you're banging an open door anytime you want it on the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. 0818-969696. If it sounds like I'm biased, yeah, damn sure I am. Kevin, you were on this show with me a number of years ago. In fact, I think in the days when we could have people in, you were actually in studio with me. Good morning. Yes, this was for... World Autism Day back in 2017, and uh, here I am in the eve of World Autism Day again. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And you impressed us back then with your music, and now you've committed your musical talents and enthusiasm to a charity signal, single rather for, for As I Am. Tell me about it. So it's called Embrace the World, and I've written it and arranged it and did part of the production on it and um, it's in a super group arrangement so it's not just me singing on it you have emma langford and joe handlin molly lynch lisa curran caroline k rebecca Houlihan, mm. Stephen gormley from moon looks on and mark daly and um, these are all very different voices with different vocal qualities. You have rock and roll in there. You got musical theater in there. You're going to write yeah. mix, yeah. And then you've gone to my pals at Kitten Lane Studio, Aidan O'Connor. They mixed it for you. Like it's done a. Oh, they produced it. They engineered the instruments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's a big one. It's a big one. How are you getting on yourself, Kevin? When we talked, you you were getting into the music and you were singing and writing and producing because you explained to me at the time that having been diagnosed with autism at the age of five, music was your way to communicate. Oh, it was like, as my mom was heard, I was singing before I could talk. I was nonverbal and she was heard it. It was a struggle to get to speak for ages, but I'd run up to the local church and be like bah, 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 making all these noises and exper- experimenting with the resonance of the room which is actually kind of a lot like what they do now with music therapy yeah. and then one day I just upped at the family table and went knock knock knocking on heaven's door <laughs> yeah you literally could sing before you could talk yeah I don't even remember what my first words were but I remember that being the first song yeah and my fascination was the just the imagery of the song and uh, Mama, take this badge off me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was through music that you communicated. And then why you're... Talk to me about As I Am. Why have you decided to devote the process to As I Am? Because As I Am, they came out about seven or eight years ago with a documentary on RTE called Autism and Me. Yeah. And it was the first time, and Adam was key to that documentary. And they, that was really key in them because they really represented themselves as self-advocates and they're about empowerment and community. And that documentary really resonated with me. And that got me feeling just that bit braver and braver over the years to finally start talking about my diagnosis. Because in the 90s and the 2000s, it was very much in the medical deficits model and they're moving away from that now more towards kind of a social model strength yes. based model and as I am are a big key towards doing that yeah yeah you've gone off um, I admire their work from, from, from standing up aged five and singing knocking on heaven's door you now have first class honours degrees in music 
uh, and you have a first class honours masters like you really have embraced this there's a video coming for the single as well kevin there is and it's directed by the wonderful yvonne Collin of red sandstone varied productions and it's based on it's sort of an autobiographical video because it's based on dramatically reenacting key moments of my life growing up as an autistic person so you see me at five going into the church and Jean Law from Fair City and the South Westerlies is playing my mother. Right. And my mother herself was in the video as well. We're watching, we're on the altar and we're watching Jean and Logan, it's named the young boy, playing me, running around the church. So you have that and you have the struggles I had with eating because that was a big thing going from the baby liquids to the solid foods and the yeah. textures and the senses of it. So... You see that in there, and then you do see how music ultimately became this lifeline. And yeah. the brilliant thing was that all the locations, like the School of Music and Colossicolum, were very kind to me in letting me go back to those locations to use them for the video. Yeah, yeah. With, and the song is out, the single's out on the 13th of April, which is uh, two weeks. Today or is it, is it th- Thursday week? Uh, Wednesday. Wednesday week, Wednesday week, yeah. so it's out Wednesday week, uh, April the 13th, and it'll be going all the usual uh, streaming platforms, and there'll be hard copy singles, as it were, on sale. Good luck with it, Kevin. I am so thrilled to see your progress, because I remember when you came in to sing for me first time, God, what is it now, five years ago, nearly six years ago? Uh, yeah. You impressed me then but you, you continue to impress. You're a marvellous young man, and uh, congratulations on this, your latest adventure. It's called Embrace the World, Kevin Walsh, written um, by himself and a cast of thousands literally involved in a fabulous video. And it's all to aid As I Am for World Autism Awareness Month. And as I said, we will talk to As I Am over the course of the next week. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96FM. Diane. What? You're going to the Madison Square Garden, Katie Taylor, Amanda Serrano, you are going. Oh my God, I'm so happy. Thanks so much. Spending money, hotel, your flights all sorted for you. Well done. Brilliant, thanks a million. Congratulations to our winner. It's just a TKO. With no DC cars, Blackpool. Put your trust in the reward-winning after-sales team with a Skoda service at noldc.com. Stay listening for our next big way to win. Only on Cork's 96FM. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Hear the full show on our app, by podcast, or on 96FM.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96FM.ie. 
The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Yeah, if you'll bear with me on those comments with regard to Trent Makin's meat or as a fellow said to me during the week, and this is true, man did say to making them meat, PJ, I'd be happy if they'd even wave at one another. Uh, those copies... Or those comments, we'll bring them to you a little bit later because I need to go straight to Ava, who's called the show at 0818969696. Ava, you're on the radio. Tell me about about Cora. You were listening to Dervla. Good morning. Yeah, Bija, how are you? Um, yeah, it's just, it brought back um, another, like a memory of the second week, but last year, um, we got a uh, Microsoft Teams call because we were all in lockdown to say that my daughter had, she had her assessment um, and that she met the criteria of the um, the ASD, the Autistic Spectrum Disorder. Okay. Um, now we knew that you know her speech wasn't where it should be, and you know she struggled with um, interaction and um, with her peers and all this kind of thing. Um, but it's just the resources that we've been offered since. You know yourself, they're non-existent. Yeah. What have um, you? What have you been offered, if anything? We've been offered. I'm doing um, a course that they offer the parents um, the Hannon course um, so I'm doing that every second Wednesday night um, we were offered so we were, she was offered speech and language therapy um, but long, the long and short of it is that the person that was offering her the therapy was a volunteer with the HSC so she would have been able to give Cora the therapy as long as she before she, until she got basically a full paid job but then between the jigs and the wheels and appointments having to be cancelled because of sickness and COVID and everything else, she was only able to actually offer one appointment, um, which for a child who's five years old, that's no way of building any kind of relationship to, to have any kind of a improvement or anything like that. So since the day you got the diagnosis, which ironically was World Autism Day last year, mm-hmm. Ava has had one session. Sorry, Cora. Cora, I beg your pardon. You're fine. Um, had no. one session. No, she hasn't had any because oh. it wasn't like we decided as parents that it wasn't fair on her to have one appointment with a therapist and then to go back into a pool of X hundred amount of kids. So we said that to the person that rang us and they were like, oh, well, um, we can offer an, um, like a virtual appointment um, to Microsoft Teams because the person that would have been offering the appointment was pregnant and wasn't having face-to-face appointments because of COVID. And now, no disrespect to the person, and I know she's only doing it for her own health and all the rest and the protection of her baby, but what child, irrespective of being on the spectrum, what child at five years of age can sit in front of an iPad and interact? Yeah. Yeah. Um, How are you fixed with regards school for so Luckily, we are absolutely haunted. Um... As you know yourself, you can't even apply for a school without getting the diagnosis and the report and all the rest. Um, so once I had the report in my hand, she, because she hadn't had the diagnosis, I had um, enrolled her into a mainstream and they were fully aware of the, you know, where she was and what we were doing and all the rest. And the school just absolutely, I just, they couldn't do more for us. Um, and they basically, once we had the report and everything was in line, they moved her into their unit that they, or that autism class that they have attached fabulous. to the school. Fabulous. Um, fabulous. Oh, we couldn't be more grateful. We say fabulous and you say grateful. And you know, it's so, yeah, Ava, you say, you, you say fabulous and, or I say fabulous and you say grateful. And I stop myself because mm-hmm. I think, 
Why should you be grateful? Yeah. Why should we think that should be a basic? Absolutely. Like Cora has a little sister who is in first year preschool who will be going into the same school in September 23. Yeah. Um, and I just know that come October 22, I'll be filling out the form yeah. and sending it in and there won't be a bother. Yeah. And once more, a couple of years in, you'll be able to know where she's going then. Yeah. And where she's going then, where she's going then. But with Cora, you'll be wondering what's happening next for many yeah. years to come. And I don't want to darken your day, Ava, but... Oh, no, no, no. I know what you're way. facing. I know what you're facing, and I don't wish it upon you. Yeah, no, I'm... Like, she, she's a junior infant, and I'm already looking at secondary schools in our area to see what, you know, what kind of units or what, could, what facilities are available. And I know that's eight years away. Yeah. But I'm only fooling myself if I think that it's going to be an easy ride to come fourth class, fifth class. There you go. Listen, my best to you and my best to Cora, Eva, and thank you for calling us on the opinion. And 0818 96 96 96. And uh, throat autism awareness month. We will come back and forth to this one. And uh, if I do nothing else over the next month, I'm going to talk a lot about the shambles and the lack of equality for kids on the spectrum. Because it's not there. And yes, you get the announcements of places and additional places and new places. And they're welcome. Every single place provided is welcome. We shouldn't even have to ask. The minute a diagnosis is made and given, it should be, there's your school place. That's what you're going to do. There's your therapy. 0818 Now there's a campaign ongoing and there'll be a major fundraiser taking place uh, later this month, April 9th which is tomorrow week to raise funding uh, towards a children's emergency department at CUH. Now Claire Concannon from CUH Charity uh, we'll talk about the fundraiser in a little while but the, the, the children's ED plan, how advanced is that? Is it, is it gone beyond a drawing at this stage? Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Um, we have seen the drawings. We're hoping to start work uh, very, very, very soon. Um, but the, the drawings are exceptional. And essentially, you know, this is a project that has been needed for a very, very long time. And I think um, with COVID, um, it's actually just amplified how necessary it is um, mm. to create a separated space for four children that is completely audio visually separated from adults within the emergency department. Mm. There aren't that many children's EDs in the country, if I'm right. I know obviously Crumlin has one. I think Temple Street has one. Are there any more? This would be the first outside of Dublin. Um, so it is. it would be a huge asset to Munster and beyond. Um, CUH has been designated as a major trauma centre. So there'll be one in Cork and one in Dublin. Um, with this in mind, it's going to make the emergency department exceptionally busy, even more busy into the future. Um, and so we need to kind of build capacity. So by removing the paediatric bay and creating a separated children's emergency department, we're also creating space within the main emergency department as well, which is obviously a huge asset. Um, and it just creates a camera environment for everybody who, who comes through the doors. So it is. It, it will be a huge, huge asset into the future. And we, you know, we will be exceptionally lucky to, to have this on our doorsteps. And where is it planned that it will be located, Claire, you know, as sort of relative to the current ED? So there is um, there's a space 
uh, how do I describe this? Just basically just behind where the emergency department is now. So it would have its own um, entrance into it. It will have its own screening, its own waiting area, um, its own triage, its own treatment rooms, procedure rooms, resource room, family room. So it will be, it's just behind where the emergency is presently. um, But actually it'll be completely separated. So it'll have, once you're going to the children's emergency department, you'll have your own screening, your own waiting and, and so on. So the whole journey that you would normally take through an ED you will take through a completely child-friendly environment yeah yeah and obviously will it be separately staffed because it will have to be yeah we have we have um pediatric uh, emergency specialists already that would um, look after the children that will come through ED presently. Um, so yes, it will be completely, completely separate in that respect, but it will be very close to the emergency department in case you did need any other specialist expertise to come in. And you mentioned that it would also obviously take pressure off the, the main ED because about one in five patients in the emergency department are children, aren't they? Yeah, 20% of, of the patients that come through ED are children. So that works out at approximately 40 children a day presenting to the emergency department. Um, and, you know, look, first impressions count. <laughs> and I think when a child comes into an emergency department, it can lead to lots of stress for children, which leads to lots of stress for parents. Oftentimes you're bringing a child and you have siblings with you. Um, so you're trying to manage an unwell child and sometimes children who aren't unwell and are getting very impatient by waiting in a facility that maybe isn't or in a space that isn't suited to them, you know. Yeah. Um, so from that respect, it can lead to a lot of stress for everybody. Um, and so by removing that and putting them into a space that is incredibly colourful, welcoming, child-friendly, plenty of toys, distractions. Um, It's just going to make a more positive experience for the entire family unit, but also actually make a more positive experience for our frontline staff because they'll have distractions available as well to work while they're working with children, you know, and they'll have space, appropriate space. The space at the moment, if anyone has come into the paediatric bays in in the current ED, it's very tight. It is, it's yeah. very tight on space. And so by creating spaces that are larger, where you do have the family unit there, if, if that's the situation that we're in, then we can work within that space. Um, so also by creating an environment that isn't as scary for children, it means the future of their journey through the hospital, whatever that may be, if it leads to, if this visit leads to a stay or leads to multiple visits to CUH into the future, we're reducing the stress at an early stage. And that's why I say first impressions count, because if they're scared the first time, it'll make the whole journey a lot harder into the yeah. future. Yeah. So we're trying to make it as easy for everybody as possible as, as we, as as a child moves through the, the system. Yeah, Dr. Chris Luke writes in his book, uh, A Life in Trauma, about the time uh, a time he spent as a very young doctor. Uh, he served his time in the emergency department, one of the children's emergency departments in Dublin, and he said it's a totally different discipline. A completely mm-hmm. different discipline. I'm reminded of, of, of what he wrote uh, listening to you. When is it likely, Claire, that we would go from a drawing to shovels and from shovels to having young patients in there. It's it's very imminent. Um, we have had this literally on the brink of happening for quite a while. Look, the, the emergency department is exceptionally busy right now. And so, um, you know, it, it, it is making it much harder to kind of start this project. And while while I, I do have um, people on air, I would say that, you know, if you if there is any options to visit a GP or a local injury unit, please consider that. But 
there if you if you have a child that you think is unwell and and you're not sure whether to come we actually did post something on the CUH charity social channels recently please go and check it out because it kind of goes through 10 times when you should absolutely bring your child to ED I know it's on the news that it's exceptionally busy and I think people maybe then are a little bit hesitant but there are you know we've we've outlined on our social channels 10 times that you just you just come straight away um so hopefully once we can ease up the pressures on the emergency department we can get stuck into this straight away because it's it's the space is there the space is ready to go um we just need to as i say it's it's very difficult with the with the situation in ed presently and lastly you have a fundraiser uh, tomorrow week, April 9th, with about 100 medical students involved. Yeah, we've worked with uh, UCC for a very long time. We have a very, very long-standing relationship with them, and we were delighted when the team got in touch with us to say that they were fundraising for us, um, for the ED in particular, um, and also Bumbalance, which links very nicely. Yeah. Um, so they're going to be fundraising, doing street collections um, next week on Saturday the 9th. If you do see them out and about, please support them because they're they're fantastic students who eventually will probably come in and work in CUH, so it's, it's amazing amazing that they're they're working with us already um, but also if anyone does want to make a donation to the ED um, you can visit uh, cuhcharity.ie or you can give us a call on 021-423-4529 and we'll be able to take donations there as well but um, if you do see the guys out next week please give them support because we're we're delighted to see this these kind of activities come back again it's been a long time since right. you know the societies have been able to get these kind of activities happening and it's fantastic to see it back so um, hopefully they get loads of support now next week Alright, listen, thank you very much for speaking with me on the Opinion Line. Claire Concannon of uh, CUH Charity and the it's more than just an idea. It's now a plan. They have drawings and uh, as soon as possible they actually start work on the children's emergency department. Would you believe that? I, I knew that before I asked the question. There is only, There are none there's no dedicated children's emergency department outside of Dublin. This will be the very first here in Cork. 0818 96 96 96. <laughs> we talked a lot about the, the economy and the state of the economy and the cost of living and how much the gas costs and how much the electric costs and how much food costs and the car and the petrol and the heating oil and all the things that go to running a home and the bills and all that. In between all of that, do you give your children pocket money? Do you give the kids a few quid, a few bob of a Saturday or Sunday and say, that's yours for the week now? And how do you do it if you do it? Like, is it a euro per age for, per year of their life? Or is it based on doing chores? Or what is it? Do you give a 10-year-old a tenner? Do you give a 12-year-old 12 quid? What do you do? Or should you give them pocket money? Do you make them work for it? We'll address all those questions next. 0818-96-96-96. Find the biggest workout bangers on the Fit Mix. The Cork's 96 FM Hit Mix and Fit Mix are streaming live right now. Streaming live right now. 
Download the Cork's 96FM app. Listen on your smart speaker. Or go to 96FM.ie. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833 96 96 96. On Quartz 96 FM. So at what age do the youngsters start looking for pocket money? I'm sure as soon as they hear their friends talking about it, then they want pocket money. So if they want it, do you give it to them? How much do you give it to them? And how do you structure it? Pocket money is brilliant, says a very good quote, but people can do it wrong. Catherine Hallisey, child psychologist. Hi, Catherine. Good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Do you give your children pocket money? I do. I do. I'm actually a big fan of pocket money, but there are a couple of golden rules um, that I suggest people follow just so it doesn't become a chore. It doesn't become a stick to beat your kids with or them to nag you for. Like there, there's a couple of things that will just make it a bit easier. Okay. How much do you give them a week? Is it based on their age? No, and I know lots of people advise um, based on age. Like what I say to parents is you give what feels easy for you you give what you're comfortable with. Like, you know, I'd much prefer a child to be getting 50 cents a week or a euro a week and that they get it every week rather than having a bonanza like every two months where the child is given too much, you know, and then they can't manage it well. So, you know, um, I give my gang two euros a week and they they all get the same amount and um, they they save it mostly. Mm. Um, but you know what I've and, and two euros feels okay for me like see if I was giving more than that like I'm giving out a tenner every Sunday like that's that's a fair old whack sure. so if I was giving more like I know people who have two children and they, they might be giving a five or a tenner a week so that's I think it's really about tuning into what feels easy for you to do so that you can give it with an open heart mm. Is it in exchange for chores Catherine? No, I recommend not doing it in exchange for for jobs. And there's a few reasons for that. Well, you know, the first thing is I don't want to be paying my kids for things that they need to do to contribute to our home. 
So they have to take care of their own belongings as part of living together. And, um, you, you know, another reason is like I'm using pocket money to teach them money management skills. And if you try and muddy the waters with behavior or emotional regulation, you're bringing in two things. So like so many adults need support with money management skills. And if we can actually instill that early, it's a huge gift to give our kids. So I recommend keeping them separate. And look, I know there are going to be people listening who do it. And if it's working for you, keep going. Mm. I'll just share a couple of reasons why I don't. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is, you know, I don't like bringing the market economy into the home. So, you know, you may find that you give your children money for doing things and it works for a little while. Mm. And the child is really, really motivated. It's It's like the younger child with the stickers and then they go and get their treat at the weekend. Mm. really, really motivated at the start and usually the motivation drops. And then, you know, you have the the situation where you ask your child to do something and they're like, what do you give me for it? Mm-hmm. And that's that's one thing. And then, then they may decide it's not worth the effort. Do you know, and where thing, do you go then? There is a, well, there is a thing, Catherine, I guess, that they're going to oh. grow out into the world at 17 or 18 and the world mm-hmm. is just like that. So is it not is it not right to teach them a little bit of that at home? I think we can teach our children everything they need to learn at home. I, You know, I don't need them to go out into the world to learn that. I can talk to them about how the world is, but that in our home we contribute because we're in a community. Yeah. And then once they start getting a job, that's a totally different relationship. It's not their parent who's giving them a job. So, of course, it's going to be totally different. And, you know, like you can instill a strong work ethic in so many other ways. But it's simply like I've seen it time and again in my clinic. A parent will say to me, he'll only do it if I pay him. And then sometimes he's like, nah, it's not worth it. Yeah. You know, what kind of of game will you get me? The next thing the parent is spending 60 euros on a game for the child doing basic things at home. Yeah. Like tidy that bedroom um, should always be tidy that bedroom. Should it ever be, and I mean ever, be, I'll give you an extra fiver if you tidy the bedroom? So I think for taking care of your own personal belongings, I think that that's something you just do anyway. But then um, I do allow my children the opportunity to earn extra money with bigger jobs. So like I hate cleaning out my car and and they like doing it. So that's how they can earn extra money or clearing out their the garage. You know, they're really good at that. And that's a way to get an extra little boost. Um, but but things that are that they should just be doing themselves, organizing their own belongings. And like I have a masterclass in my membership on helping kids um, help out around the house. You know, it's not that, you know, I think that people should just be doing this anyway. There are so many ways to support children. And I just don't feel money is one of them. Because also, like, there's loads of research that shows that paying kids to read books, you know, the way that would be something like if your child is a slow reader or finding a tricky, reluctant reader and someone might say, oh, you know, I'll pay you um, to read books. Well, actually, the research shows that it leads to less reading. Well, that would to me, that would be ridiculous to pay children to read books. You teach them the joy of a book. 
Yeah, lots of people do that. But in the same way, like I think that we should be teaching our children the joy of helping out at home, you know, sitting down in a nice space afterwards saying, oh, my goodness, you did such a great job. Doesn't it feel great to play in here like this? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that's difficult when you're six and mommy wants you to help clean up the kitchen that looks like you reversed the car through it. No matter how <laughs> nice it sounds to you, to you when you're six, you can say, mommy... That's not my mess. Yeah, and that's the thing. I don't. I don't expect children to clean up my mess. Yeah, it's that, that we help out together, and I help them a lot. And look, what I'm talking about here, you adapt the strategies. Yes. Then, when your child is 16, yes. you know, but the principles are still the same. We contribute to our economy. So, like when you're in a house share at 18, you're out in college and you're in your house share. Nobody is going to be paying you to keep the living space clean. True. You do it because you've learned to be in a community. Yeah. And so if I was paying my children to clean up the house, what happens then when they're off in college and nobody wants to be in a house share with them? So I, in, I believe that this way actually trains them for the real world, not the other way of paying them to do the basics. How many student or college flats have you visited lately? Oh my goodness. There's a whole pile of tidying going on, I would suspect. No, and what often happens then is one person will do a lot of us. You know, there's always like, the one uh, person you, go, ah, sh- I guess I can't stick this anymore. <laughs> yeah, and I suspect the other ones who are not doing anything are the ones who've been paid to do the, the work. Um, when they're at home, which is a lovely way to they finish. just don't they just don't have the skills. But come here, PJ, if anybody wants any more support on this, this is the kind of stuff that we talk about all of the time on my Instagram. That's free for anyone to access or come along to any of my workshops. Excellent. And we just talk about really practical things that work. So it's katherinehallacy.com. Get on my email list so you'll get advance notice of whenever anything is coming up. Okay. You've got lots of different advice and classes and guidelines there on our website, katherinehallacy.com. As always, a pleasure to speak to you on the Opinion Line, Catherine. Have a nice weekend. What do you do with your children? Um, I, you give them a couple of quid of a Saturday and then when they want a bar of chocolate, you see, this is the thing, right? So you give them maybe a fiver on Saturday or Sunday. Or two or three quid. And then they're with you in the shop during the week. Say, Daddy, I want chocolate. Well, you have pocket money. You see? Do you do that? I'd love to know what you do. 0818 96 96 96. Or a text or WhatsApp. Or a voice message to 083 396 96 96. Do you give pocket money? Should you give pocket money? How much do you give? What do you expect in return, do you give money to a child for cleaning their room? 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. There's a special concert taking place this Thursday night at Cork City Hall with a whole host of musicians from the Irish music and cultural scene together with Ukrainian counterparts and among 
the acts confirmed are Jimmy Crowley, Nelly Cronin, John Spillane and Karen Casey. Tickets are available from the People's Republic of Cork website. Access all areas. To celebrate their 14th anniversary, Aslan will perform two shows at Cork Opera House as part of a massive national tour. The shows take place on the 8th and 9th of April with tickets on sale now from CorkOperaHouse.ie. Access all areas. You can contact us here at Access All Areas if you have a show, play, exhibition or gig coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us on aaa at 96fm.ie. Access All Areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 0818 96 96 96. On Cork's 96FM. me a comments held over on the cost of living and more electricity price increases announced this week. Talk in the papers this morning of time of day pricing coming up where effectively it will be dearer to cook and heat. And right now it's between 7 and 9 in the morning and between, I think, 6 and 8 in the evening and 5 and 7 in the evening and then cheaper during the day and much cheaper by night. And Eamon Ryan is, is looking at that as a, as a possibility and we might hear something on VAT from the EU in the next couple of weeks and all of that and lots more going up. Hi PJ, on the cost of living, we do on paper have a good income coming in but now we find ourselves using a credit card to pay for necessities like food and power at the end of each month which then adds another bill to the next month and it's a vicious cycle. We have college-going kids with college fees, accommodation and bills we just can't meet them. I don't see any light or hope at the end of the tunnel, even trying not to shop some weeks and use up what's left over. Why break your arse to work if you still struggle to put food on the table? Mary's in Mallow. If the government doesn't have a magic money tree, then the rest of us certainly don't either. We don't have pay rises that we just have to vote for. We don't have golden handshakes, pensions for a few years' work. We don't have company or ministerial cars. It's about time the government got up off their backsides and found solutions for the rest of us. If they earned the same as the rest of us, then they'd see the need. The need to make policies that work for us and not be copying policies from their own paymasters. Eugene reminds us one of the biggest electrical wastes is filling the kettle to make one cup of coffee. Correct, Eugene. John says on the carbon tax there's only one way to deal with it. Get out on the streets and protest. PJ, it's not just gas and electric going up. I'm a taxi driver. Two weeks ago, I had to shell out 1,500 quid. And now this morning, another 1,500 on repair bills. I'm shook from it. Barely a bob in the house for Anthony. Never mind this to keep my business on the road. Again, more people saying, look, do they think the government has a golden purse? And no, no one thinks the government. Well, I certainly don't think the government has a golden purse. But they have to protect the weak, they have to protect the low earners, they have to protect the people stuck on fixed incomes. They have to do something for them. PJ, as long as we have a three-party government and a weak leader, the country is going to suffer. Which is another way of looking at it. And then these come in and they're look they're 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 inevitable that they do come in. Good morning, PJ. If the government helped us Irish people the way they're helping others, we might be able to keep the heating on and the children warm. Thomas Gould hasn't a clue. He comes on criticising everything except of the using money raised in this country for the Irish people in this country. Look at our own problems first and help us. That's from Mary Lynch. And we had a similar one 
It's unfortunate to see these coming in, but th- th- I suppose it's a valid opinion and it's an opinion that's out there. And that's what the program's for. The country's in a crisis at the moment, so why would the government decide to bring in 100,000 Ukrainian refugees? Where are they going to live and work? We already have a housing shortage with so many people on the housing waiting list. Yeah, we should be able to do both in a modern functioning economy in a very wealthy country, and we are a very wealthy country. And that is true. We're an extremely wealthy country. 0818969696. Now, something else that's going up in price for those who can afford it. And I know probably going from what I've just been talking about to holidays, summer holidays, might seem a bit insensitive, but I guess, look, a lot of people are looking to go in a holiday this summer if they can get the money together and get a week in the sun or two weeks in the sun and try and just get away, get a bit of sun on their bones and a heat in their back and, you know, have a bit of... So that's why we're going to do it. But reading the Independent during the week that the war, believe it or not, the war is going to put up the cost of your summer holiday. Prices for popular family holiday destinations are to rocket by up to 16% at peak times this year. The most popular, like the Canaries or Mallorca or those places, are all going to get more expensive. And it is related, believe it or not, to the war in Ukraine. I've been talking with uh, travel journalist Siobhan Maguire. Siobhan, reading your piece in The Independent, I breathed, not for the first time, a sigh of relief that I got everything tucked away from my holidays this year, long before the war. But how much of the increases you're going to tell us about are war-based and how many are what you might call pandemic-based? Yes, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a mix. So if you look at, at what's happening in terms of the war on Ukraine and how it's affecting, say, uh, energy prices worldwide, PJ, what this basically means uh, for us is that prices have gone up at the pumps. And obviously, if you're trying to get a, a plane off the ground, you're using a hell of a lot of fuel. So the price of that has gone up as well. So what you're looking at is like... Um, so prices are going up anywhere up to about 16%, say, on, on um, holidays in the July-August period. And, and that's with a comparison of pre-pandemic prices mm. for the same period. And you have a, a, a very clear, clean 40-60 split between increases on flights and accommodation. I looked at uh, three uh, specific locations, primarily because they're holiday hotspots for Irish people, uh, PJ. And I have to say, I had the help of, of Paul Hackett from Click and Go yeah. to help me kind of crunch these numbers. Uh, so, so they they are uh, completely verified. And if you take, say, um, you know what the average passenger paid in 2019 in July and August. They were looking at around 746 euros to get themselves over to somewhere like Lanzarote. Or, um, and, and if you, you look at the prices uh, for the same period this year, it's an 85 euro uh, increase. And that's overall an 11% increase. Now, there's still going to be value uh, yeah. to be had. But the thing is, you have to kind of... Um, get yourself out of the, that kind of thinking that you like your, your your seven days to be from Saturday to Saturday and maybe think about going from a Monday to a Monday uh, where, where you'll get the flights and the hotel that little bit cheaper. Don't the airlines 
buy their fuel or lock in a price for their fuel months, if not a year or more in advance. So the fuel that they're using now, they bought well before the war. And if they bought it during the early days of the pandemic, then the fuel prices were much lower. So why is it more expensive for us now? Well, yeah, I mean, that's a very good point because we know that Ryanair has actually got a year's worth of, of, of fuel in storage now to get them through the next year. But it's not just the fuel element that, that applies here. It's also supply and demand, uh, PJ. And, yeah. and these are peak travel times. So you're vying for pretty much... Uh, every other um, family with with young kids who aren't in school at that time and can only have a holiday away um, to to get that seat on the plane. So there's a lot of different factors going on. And normally, prices for an airline would go up at that that time of the year. Oh, there are times of the year that if fuel was free, the price would still go up because of supply and demand. Exactly. Exactly, Peter. You're dead right. Travelling light. Now... The men listening will go, yeah, I can do the whole thing, one small suitcase, uh, and all we're taking is shorts and T-shirts, but some people cannot travel light. I'm guessing, PJ, when you're saying some people now, you're you're meaning uh, us, us ladies that we simply can't travel Well, you light. might very well think that I couldn't possibly comment. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> You know, the thing is, I, I, there'll be people listening and nodding their heads in agreement to this, but how many times have you gone away, whether a little staycation over the last two years or, if, you know, pre-pandemic going abroad, and you've packed the big suitcase and then you end up wearing the same things yeah. over and over. Yeah. So, you know, airlines know that this is how we behave when we go away. Jesus, we want to put everything and, oh, and yeah. the kitchen sink into, into the big bag. This is where you have to be a little bit savvy about things. Um, airlines make their money, not on us just buying the, the you know, the, the, the seat, but, you know, how much we spend on our luggage. So, you know, you see that, that 20 euro flight and you think, fantastic. Yes. And by the time you've tossed up, you know, uh, putting a, a putting bringing bags on, um, you're looking at you know around 120, 130 euro. The, the clever thing to do is absolutely travel light, and for a family, have one big suitcase for people, and get as much as you can into carry on, and that's going to bring the prices right down. Yeah. Now, some some airlines are charging for the carry on now, but it's still only a tenner for a decent sized bag, I guess. Exactly. Exactly, and actually, you know, this is a, this is you know, this is just a kind of common sense. But, but roll your clothes. So like if you roll something into 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 a ball, it takes up less space in in luggage, so you can get more in. Let me talk a bit about travel insurance because, as you go to book it this year, the one worry that'll be on people's minds is: Am I covered? Should I have a COVID mishap? Now, I was looking up my own insurer recently, and for. A consideration, shall we say, which isn't an expensive one. Well, I am covered, but check your insurance. That's an important message. Oh, completely. And get insurance because um, a lot of people got caught out in uh, at the, you know, the beginning of the pandemic. And it wasn't the fault of insurance companies. You know, they, they simply didn't know how to cope with what happens during a pandemic. Um, and, and people felt a bit sore that they weren't getting money back from whether it was the airlines or from the travel insurance company. But they were everyone was overwhelmed, basically. I would be telling people to not leave home without travel insurance and make sure there is a COVID clause 
included in it. Well, you mentioned the Canaries earlier, PJ. One of the reasons the Canaries uh, was very popular in 2021, to those brave enough, basically, to to go abroad, um, I certainly didn't. But uh, the Canaries had had in place until the end of the year that they would look after you if you got COVID. So, you know, it wasn't going to be out of your own pocket or at your own expense. And I think we're probably going to see now as... um, people get travelling more and more. Uh, a lot more countries will start doing things like this just to give people peace of mind and to encourage them to travel over to to where, wherever it is, Spain yeah. or Portugal again. And you actually would be pleasantly surprised at how affordable a policy to cover your holiday would be, even with a COVID consideration, as I was myself the other day. Anything else for us trying to save a bit of money with June or July approaching? Yeah, so I would, I would absolutely. There's this beautiful phrase, uh, uh, destination agnostic, PJ, and what that means is that instead of you know thinking, well, I've been to that beautiful resort in the Algarve and it's you know it's 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 cheap enough to stay there for the week, get that out of your head and think, you know what, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do a a, a search and see what's the cheapest where and 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 kind of get yourself out of the mode of having a favorite place to go but look for the cheaper holiday and also it's it, you know it's exciting to travel to new places as well so it could be well worth your while is what i'm saying and try you know unless you're really stuck to traveling in july and august at those peak times really do try you know look at the other summer months like if you look at may and september they're far cheaper mm. than those peak um summer months always were Lastly, all-inclusive. The last time I was away, which is a couple of years ago now, as you can appreciate, all-inclusive was becoming big business. We've all watched Benidorm. (laughs) Like, is it worth the investment or is it as awful as it looks? Awful is your word now. I've been on an an, an all-inclusive Gosh, it was, I'd say it was about four years ago now. And it was great. But um, do you know what? I just ended up eating and drinking far too much because <laughs> I felt I had to get my money's worth. That's right. That's so right. I did a lovely holiday abroad, but it came back and nothing would fit, uh, PJ. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. And, that, and that's the problem. So, yes, you know, if you are... So let's compare like with like. An all-inclusive eating and drinking in the hotel... Uh, everything, you know, included in that bill. And that is brilliant. Now, if you were to do the same without an all-inclusive and eat and drink in the hotel you're staying in, the prices are way higher than if you were to walk out the door and have a coffee and a croissant in a little uh, coffee shop across the road. So that's the thinking behind all-inclusive. It feels like it's good value. It can be. But, you know, if, if we are comparing like with like, if you were to do the same in that hotel, it would cost a small fortune. All right. Jamal, at least we can get away again. And that's the best bit. Thanks for being with me today. Thank you for having me, PJ. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Hear the full show on our app, by podcast, or on 96FM.ie. 
The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, some of your thoughts on Pocket. Oh, by the way, before we finish today, Sonic the Hedgehog. Two, the movie is out this weekend. I've been watching the trailers and watching some clips. It's funny. It's very funny. So the first one was gas. So Sonic 2, if you want something to bring the kids to this weekend, when it's very cold out, you want to take them to the cinema. Sonic, if you can afford it. Sonic the Hedgehog 2 is out this weekend. I've been talking to uh, Sean from FM 104 about it. Uh, we'll catch up with that for the end of the programme. On the subject of... Pocket money, talking to Catherine Hallisey earlier on, asking for your thoughts on what you do with pocket money and your kids. Martha says, I think people should give their kids something like a fiver a week, but put it away for them and show them the amount building up. And then have a discussion and say, right, look, it's it's 40 quid now. Let's go and buy something nice. Or will we hold off and buy something even nicer later? It shows them who's budgeting and how budgeting and how life really works and how I suppose Martha if you want something you've got to start putting the pennies aside until you can afford it Mags says mine do chores and they get pocket money in return no chores no pocket money they're great savers too which is great each to their own Mags I think Catherine was kind of saying there are certain things you should expect them to do without being paid for it but sure look <laughs> you can't rely on me to do that at my age so yeah Andrea got onto us uh, an email at opinion at 96fm.ie my 10 year old is very lucky gets 15 euro pocket money each week from his grandparents now when you're 10 15 quid that's a nice chunk of change my question is should he be allowed to spend it all on what he wants he'd like to spend it on credit for his video games it's always an argument and we don't agree fully on it should we let him or should we limit it I have no idea how to answer that question, but somebody will. So let's put that out there. So Andrea's youngster is 10. His grandparents are very good to him, very kind to him. They give him 15 euro a week pocket money. He wants to pump it all straight back into his, say, his PlayStation or whatever in the form of credit for video games, and that's all very fine. Andrea, I think, would like him to uh, budget better, maybe put some of it into credit. Put some of it away. Learn how to save. What do you do? Should we let him spend it exactly as he pleases or try to teach him a few things about budgeting? Maybe you can advise Andrea. 0818969696 or text or WhatsApp or voice message. 0833. 96, 96, 96. There's a lovely event. I think it's tomorrow. It is tomorrow at the Marina Market, and it's called Everybody Dance. Owen Derham, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. This is a, a lovely idea. Such a simple idea, but how's it going to work? Um, well, tomorrow's actually um, World Autism Day, so, um, uh, you know, a well known Cork DJ had kind of created this. Um, brilliant event, an all-inclusive event, um, you know, for all ages, um, all needs, um, any intellectual disabilities, anything like that, that they can go to a safe space, 
um, where there's, you know, good music, good fun, good party, um, and kind of catered around, you know, everybody's needs. Um, so it's running tomorrow from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. in the Marina Market. And there's also cir- Circus Disco um, workshop. There's um, these brilliant guys that come in and they're just going to be having fun, fun with the kids, um, having fun with everyone. And they're on from two to three um, during this event as well. So, you know, it should be it should be really good. Um, it's not the first of its kind um, in Cork. They've they've ran something like this before. Mm. Um, so and look, they're they really are the, they're the best at what they do. So um, you know, it's just it's just a nice safe space um, for anyone of of any needs um, that can come and enjoy themselves yeah. um, from one to four. Is it free? Yeah. It's free. It's absolutely free. Um, there will be donations um, from for the Down Syndrome Centre in Cork. Um, you can donate online. Um, you can buy tickets online, but they are free tickets, but there's also a donation ticket. So, you know, if people want to donate, um, mm-hmm. online for their ticket, they absolutely can, but otherwise it's, it's completely free. If you don't, if you don't book a ticket online, we'll absolutely let you in at the door as well. And for there's parents no and carers and siblings that want to come along, um, will the market be open stalls and burgers and coffee and stuff? Absolutely. I mean, the market's open every day from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. So um, around um, one o'clock on a Saturday, it's it's probably our busiest time even of the week. Yeah. Um, so it'll be there'll be a hive of activity. All the good food will be good. will be uh, ready ready to, to eat. You know, and, and some serious nosh. My, I should have asked you in terms of the layout of the place. Where where is this? Because is it in the centre itself, or is it in, is it off the centre? <laughs> So we have, um, uh, you know, a couple of event rooms. Um, yeah. This room, um, we've we've held a few events in there recently. So if we have any like regular customers down. Uh, we had Celtic Steps in there now two weeks ago and stuff. So it's if you're going into the market, um, into the main area, just where the toilets are, where the new toilets are, just off to the left yeah. there. Um, that's where the, the, the show will be on. But I, I don't think you'll be able to miss it. There'll be lots of lights and music and stuff going and noise. on. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, absolutely. yeah, these are great events and good to see one happening. So Marina Market, tomorrow, World Autism Day from 1 till 4. Thanks, Owen. It's called Everybody Dance. And this actually isn't uh, such a new idea. But it's great to see it at the market. But hat tip must be uh, to uh, an old Palamine from the Pirate Radio days. Fergal would know him too from the Pirate Radio days. Kevin Cusson. Uh, he used to go by the pirate handle of Eric Young. Kevin has been doing these kind of events at Ballancolic Rugby Club on and off, or Ballancolic GA rather, on and off for, for years on a Sunday evening. And I think they should be starting up again soon because usually it hasn't been in the summertime. But they're nice, they are fun. Um, but lovely, all sorts of different abilities in the room and a lot of love and a lot of fun and a lot of laughter. And the parents get together as well and the carers get together as well. And they have a chat and a coffee or maybe a pint if there's a pint available. And they're nice events. But tomorrow at the Marina Market, one till four, it's called Everybody Dance. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. The Takeover. On Cork's 96FM. Weeknights from 7 on the Big Drive Home. We give you the chance to take charge of our tunes. Join me, Lorraine, as you decide what songs we fire up. Takeover. You pick.
music, what we play. See our song list on 96FM Insta Stories with Thunderland at Creamfields Tremor Road. Open every night until 10pm with free supervised parking. See Thunderland on Facebook for more. Corks 96FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 0818 96 96 96. On Quartz 96 FM. it came onto us uh, through WhatsApp to answer Andrea's question about her boy's pocket money. Remember, he gets 15 yo-yos a week from his grandparents. He wants to put it all into credit for his video games. And Andrea's saying, no, he should be saving some and there's disagreement. I can imagine there would be. Kira says, get him to save half. Take it from someone who's only saving now in her 30s. In 20 years, the games will be long forgotten. But the budgeting skills will last forever. Your ideas, if you have them, to 083 396 96 96. Now, I don't know if you've come across this guy on TikTok, but he's, there are geniuses and um, experts and all sorts of contributors to TikTok uh, on all sorts of subjects. If you look up TikTok for anything, you'll find some. You'll find a, a contributor or a TikToker, content creator, whatever they call themselves. But this guy, Bob Flavin, has gained a huge following. Um, talking about motoring and the cost of motoring and going electric and your motoring budget and all that. Here's a, a sample of him. The tolls went up in the last budget. Carbon tax is also there. Airports even charging for dropping off passengers. Petrol and diesel prices just went through the roof. Electricity, gas has gone as well. Thank God for a brilliant public transport system. Now his tongue is very firmly in his cheek there. But uh, Bob Flavin will join me on the Opinion Line next Tuesday to talk about the cost of motoring and the future of motoring and where we're all going to be in a few years with everything from the cost of fuel to the green agenda and back. And, like he said, public transport. So if you have any particular questions for TikTok or Bob Flavin, look him up on TikTok. Just Google his name or search his name on TikTok and you'll find it. Uh, and some of his clips, <laughs> he's very funny actually. <laughs> He's very funny about motoring and the taxes and the cost of motoring. He will be on the opinion line next Tuesday. Okay. Next Tuesday, Bob Flavin, the motoring TikToker. Uh, and he'll take your questions and pass them on. 0818 96 96 96. Now, I was there. I wasn't, well, I wasn't there. I was here, but I was there, if you know what I mean. In that I remember Italian 90. I remember the nation holds its breath. I remember the buzz and the excitement and the crack and the parties on the streets. Dario Caschio, morning, I hope PJ. I have it. How are you, mate? It's Caschio. It's Castro, yeah. Caschio, okay. And you are Sicilian. And I am, I am Sicilian. And yep. the important thing about Sicily is that that's where an awful lot of the Irish bedded down for the month that was Italian 90. So you want to make a documentary. 
Exactly. Yeah. Thanks for having me again. The last time we talked was around Christmas, and we were talking about my documentary about the Italian community here in Cork. Uh, and you know, I remember you. Yes, that's me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, and I wanted to take this opportunity to thank you for the support because after we had the chat, uh, basically you gave me a nice little boost to the views, and a lot of people came and commented and sent me messages. So thanks a lot. That documentary went very well. Mm. So. You know, uh, following up uh, on to that, I thought, you know, I want to keep on exploring this liaison between Ireland and Sicily. And what's better than the World Cup in 1990? Because Ireland was playing in Palermo. Uh, two group matches were played there. That's right. So I thought of making a documentary out of that. But not just about the the actual tournament, because there's, there's tons of highlights. I, I don't want to make a highlight reel of... of how the World Cup went. I want to talk about the memories of people that actually flew from Ireland to Palermo and experienced the city in Sicily and the World Cup, yeah. such a big event, in a place like Palermo. I, you know, I was seven years old back then, but I clearly remember I have very beautiful memories of that time because Ireland and the, and the Netherlands were playing in Palermo in the same group. The city was uh, green and orange. Like everywhere you looked, there was green and orange supporters everywhere. So it was a huge party, big party. Yeah. I know people so, who went over there for matches back in, in that time and and went back many times afterwards for holidays, just developed a love of Sicily. That's great. That's, you know, that's great to hear. That's That's probably the most beautiful thing that can happen after a big event like that because normally people just go for the matches but if you go back for tourism or culture that's that's even better it says he has a lot to offer so i'm happy to hear that good and you you want to find people who were there and and talk about their experience and and remember yeah. their stories and you being only seven years old you'd have been only only a little boy but i'm sure your say your parents or your cousins or they'd have better their own memories of, of being involved with the Irish. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I have beautiful memories uh, or nightmares maybe of my dad because he went to see a couple of matches there and my mom was terrified that the camera that he that on TV would pick him up, on, <laughs> you know, there and, and I could see my father. So <laughs> that's one of the, the most brutal memories I have there because I really wanted to go. But yeah, b- back to the documentary. What I'm looking for right now is people that went to see even one match. Yeah. Um, you know, and they want to share their memories, maybe some memorabilia, I don't know, the tickets of the stadium or some pictures. Just talk about it. So it's not just about the, the football match, yeah. but it's more about everything around it. It's because how... you went for a football match, but your experience... Exactly. The, you know, if you went for a match, you might have been, you could have been there for three days or you might have been there for... A week and a half. Some people, when the matches, I remember when the games started going well and things looked good for, for Jack and the lads, credit unions were phoned from there to try and get some more money to stay on. Those are the kind of people you <laughs> want. Yeah, exactly. That These are the stories that I want. I know I talked once to a guy um, and he told me that he went, but I, I have absolutely no contact with him. Like we were literally talking in a pub and I've only met him once. Yeah. So there are people out there that actually went and then spent time in Sicily for the workup. Yeah. And if you're willing to participate to this documentary, please hit me up on uh, uh, whatever, Facebook or Instagram or YouTube. It's the Sicilian Wanderer. That's the name of the project. The Sicilian Wanderer. So, yeah, exactly. So, you know, uh, 
any any little bit helps at this stage because I I think it's a cool story, so we can make a very nice documentary about the Steel Islands again. Yeah, well, as I said, I remember I was I was here and I was working the nightclubs, so on any big match night, they'd be out the door and the parties in the yeah. streets and the night. <laughs> The night of that famous goal, the country holds its breath. I mean, you know, that was brilliant. And they nearly, I know they nearly sank Sicily that night. They danced up and down so much. They nearly sank your island. Yeah, you know? yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> that's the kind of stuff you want. All right, Dario. Yeah. The, the Sicilian Wanderer, on any platform you want to look from, uh, you'll find him. And when, when would you hope to have it out and ready to go? Well, ideally, I would start filming as soon as I... Can. So, you know, any weekend, anyone that wants to talk to me, I'll, I'll be free to, to reach out to them and, and film in the weekends. Okay. Possibly summer, right. the right end, end of summer, I would like to have it out. Wouldn't it be fantastic, though, if we, and, and we'd get it out and have a, have a screening and get it It'd be brilliant, be brilliant. All right, Dario, thank you so much. That's Dario Castro. Palermo man, he was only seven at the time. God bless him. But so, if you were at Italia 90, or if you're dead was at Italian 90, or if you have a friend down the road who never stops talking when they've had a few scoops about being at Italian 90 in Palermo, in Sicily, particularly people who went back afterwards for family holidays, were you ever, and this I know this probably happened to people, you were dragged off to Palermo or to other parts of Sicily for holidays. You had no idea where you were going, but dad and mom, maybe they met there. And they loved it there, so they dragged you back for your summer holidays. They're the kind of people that Dario wants to meet. The Sicilian Wanderer, you'll find him on all the various platforms, and he's putting together a documentary about Italian 90, the experience, rather than the matches. Like he said, there's any number of highlights reels, any number of them out there. They're all great. But he wants the people's experiences of Italian 90. Dario Cascio, the Sicilian Wanderer. Just, just Google that. It'll turn up. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Now, one on the cost of living just before I move on to Maris. If you want to make plans to cook for Easter, and Easter is only, is it two weeks or three weeks Sunday? Is it two weeks or three weeks Sunday? Three weeks Sunday. Was it two weeks? Two weeks Sunday is Easter Sunday. So you want to be planning your recipes around now if you can afford food. Um, Tongue-in-cheek look at the future, says Adrienne. So, we'll have no petrol to go anywhere. We'll have no heating, no lighting. The war in Europe's bread basket means we'll have little or no food. To be back to Ireland in the 50s, the livestock will be living in the house. There'll be illegal turf in the grate. You'll get a bath once a fortnight. They'll be rationing the sugar and the butter and we'll be all either depressed or alcoholics. We'll sit in circles talking about the dreaded potato blight while the priest locks himself into the parochial hall, house rather, eating steak and burning gallons of the midnight oil. Have a fabulous weekend, PJ from Adrian. Thank you. Tongue in cheek, I know. 0818969696. Now, it's two weeks from Sunday is uh, Easter Sunday and Maris Orbanovic uh, was recently awarded the overall winner in the 
category of chef at the Hospitality Awards. He's head chef at the Cove Restaurant in Photo Island Resort. Hey, Maris, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good, and congratulations to you. Very prestigious award indeed. Thank you very much. I'm over the moon of that. Good man. And yeah, this is a great achievement for me and the entire team from the Fort Island Resort. And I would like to take opportunity and thank them all from all departments, from all the kitchen staff, management, and most amazing marketing team. And my good friend, uh, who brought us concierge. Yeah. And John Paul. Yes. Thank you. Thank everyone. Yeah. yeah. Good on you. Good on you. Well, where were you. Before I ask you about the recipes you have here in front of me, where are you from yourself, Maris? Originally, I'm from Latvia. Okay. Good man. So, Easter Sunday roast dinner, roast lamb, the most traditional of all Easter Sunday dinners. Yes. You want to make it as simple as possible because you want to spend more time with your family. So I prepared few recipes I believe are very, very simple. Uh, particularly your lamb. What's important, you source it locally. Yeah. So if you are fortunate enough to be close to the markets like uh, Machen Point uh, Farmer's Market every Thursday or, or English Market, uh, you can look for a... Uh, local uh, leg of lamb mm. so, uh, or go for your local butchers and yeah, ask them for a nice leg of lamb. And then, and, and, yeah, uh, so uh, it's very important before you're roasting it, take it out for a couple of hours before you're roasting it out of the fridge. Mm. Yeah. And then it's used to seasoning. So I would prefer to use uh, rosemary, uh, some garlic, chop it up and uh, add some olive oil and rub it into that lamb, lamb leg Yeah, and then, uh, season it heavily with salt and black pepper mm-hmm. and roast the oven for about an one hour and a half. Right. And if you are not sure if it's cooked or not, you can always use the thermometer. Yeah. Uh, if, you, you, if you like kind of pink, then you should go for about 55. Yeah, I was going to ask uh, you that. Like, should should well-cooked lamb, and I guess chefs vary on this, but well-cooked <laughs> lamb, should it be a little bit pink? Uh, no, no. If you want a well done, you don't want to see any of that blood. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So then, then, then you'll be looking. Uh, then you'll be looking for uh, about 70 degrees before you want to rest it. Yeah, okay. So you're taking your thing, and then, yeah. Um, so th- and then the roasties to go with it, of course. A roasties to go, of course. Yes, you need to pre-boil uh, potatoes. Uh, so how you do that? You just peel potatoes, cut them on a half or quarter them, and you boil them for about ten minutes in uh, salted water, and then you strain them off. And it would be very nice if you could, uh, after thirty minutes, lamb being in the oven, you could take off some of that fat from that roasting tray and coat your potatoes into that lamb fat to give back that flavor. And then you season them, pop them back in the oven alongside with that leg of lamb and keep roasting them for another about a 50 minutes, maybe hour to make sure they are really, really golden brown and delicious. Now you have a, a, a salmon and potato dish for us. A potato, yes, correct. A potato farrel. I, I haven't had one in a long time, but they're a most simple and gorgeous thing to make. 
They are indeed, yeah. And you can always utilize uh, whatever mashed potatoes you have in the fridge, leftovers, and that that's really, really simple, uh, simple dish that possibly cannot go wrong. Yeah, it's just, um, it's just it's just like mashed potato in a patty and you fry it on the pan and you put whatever you want into it, isn't that right? Uh, pretty much. Well, you will need some uh, flour. Uh, you will need some free-range eggs. Yeah. And uh, I noticed there's a little secret to it. If you put a little bit of baking powder, it Ooh. helps them rise and make them nice, nice and fluffy. Ooh. That's a tip. Yeah. That's a tip. That's a tip. And you'd put in with those then, you'd make those and you could put smoke, smoke salmon with them. Uh, uh, you could put smoked salmon into the mix, that's right. But I would prefer uh, to put smoked salmon on top later on and maybe to dress up the farls when they're ready cooked with some cream fresh and, uh, and uh, some lemon and a chive sauce. You just basically mix some chives uh, into cream fresh and uh, squeeze the lemon and a little bit of lemon zest there as well. Yeah. That's, that would give that. It's a really light dish, isn't it? If it's... If it's, it's, it's I think, yeah, it's, well, for Irish, it's maybe light, yeah, potato, salmon. Yeah, I mean, it's fried <laughs> nicely in the pan. It's a, Yeah, I know, I know what you mean about the Irish and light, like, <laughs> that's what's light, yeah, yeah. Now, but yeah, that, that's that's very, very nice dish to start while you're yeah. roasting your uh, lamb in the oven. Yeah, that's really nice. Now, for dessert, rhubarb crumble. Yeah. At home, I always do crumble. Whenever I have some guests or family at home, crumble is the easiest thing you can do. Uh, it's literally, you can prepare it ready and you have it in the fridge. Yeah. And then when the guests arrive, you just pop it in the oven and then, then just make it look very easy. Yeah. Rhubarb is one of these things. I, I don't know if we, if, if we eat rhubarb as much as we used to in this country. We used to have it with custard and ice cream yeah. for dessert but it's it's like yeah. it's, if it's cooked well it's beautiful it's delicious it's absolutely delicious uh, and it's in the season right now yeah and you can definitely find on any market and yeah so what would you do? how would you make your your crumble then so my crumble i would uh so for the crumble you need uh uh cold unsalted butter right yeah. and you need uh, really to be really really cold and you cut into small cubes right and then you mix it with the flour with your fingers until it's kind of turns into the breadcrumbs and then you add your sugar into it mm -hmm. okay and then oh yeah and you lay it out and do all those things and you just bake it for what 45 minutes for a 45 minutes, yeah. First, you need to make the filling. Let's say you will have one kg of uh, rhubarb, and then, then, then uh, you cut it in a nice rough chunks, like three to four centimeters, and uh, then you add about uh, 200 grams of sugar mm -hmm. and uh, two tablespoons of corn flour into the mix, mm -hmm. and you put all that into the oven-proof uh, baking tray and cover with a with a crumble. Cool. And it's ready to go in the oven. Cool. And a bit of ice cream on top, then when it's hot, come out of the oven. Lovely. Ah, that's my favorite. Yeah. You can make a custard, but yeah. yeah. I, I always just put a crumble on the table and a bit of ice cream. Ice cream and everyone helps himself. Maris, um, 
I see where uh, Tato this morning had a nice clever April Fool's uh, smashed avocado crisps and they said they'd be taking the cheese and onion off the market and replacing it with smashed avocado. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of said, no, nah, you cannot. That was no. a, that'd be a crime against humanity to take cheese and onion crisps no. out of the shop. But, but have you have you come up? Any, have you, anyone tried that? I have been, I have something different wow. uh, for the April Fool recipe. Uh, it's a very, very low effort and a huge award in the prank. If you do chocolate Brussels sprouts, you just melt the chocolate, you, you, you cover the Brussels sprouts, uh, leave the chocolate, set it cold, and then you put them on a kitchen table or maybe in the office for your friends and, and the colleagues. And, let them enjoy nice Brussels sprout and chocolate bites. Now, I love Brussels sprouts, Marit, I might as well tell you. I want yeah. to sure these people who does, but just imagine, oh, there's a lovely bowl of... Yeah, <laughs> I think that's, that's pretty good, disgusting that's and one. funny. That's a good one. Maris, thank you for that. Maris Urbanovic, uh, head chef at Cove Restaurant the Photo Island Resort, and of course, the overall winner in the chef category at the Hospitality Award. The perfect... Easter Sunday lunch. Rhubarb crumble, the start with the potato ferals and the roast lamb. God, I'm hungry now. Eugene says, no, 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 no. Roast potatoes must be roasted from raw and cooked in Frytex. <laughs> Thanks, Eugene. Although, no, I, I kind of disagree with you on the roasting from raw um, because there is a thing now where you, you do this parboil thing with them, you boil them a bit, and then you drain off the water and you shake them around the pot so they get kind of busted up a little bit. Then you roast them with the melted Fritex and they're so crumbly inside. But thank you. 0818 96 96 96. Now, where did I leave that? Oh, yeah. It can only be Sonic the Hedgehog. Video game turned movie. Turned cult status in kids stuff uh, Sonic the Hedgehog the movie was out a few years ago it was funny it was funny as anything silly daft but brilliantly made and very very funny and Sonic the Hedgehog 2 hits the screens uh, this month starring Jim Carrey and a cast of thousands by the sounds of it I've been catching up with Sean Masanji who is the entertainment correspondent at our friends in FM 104 who has seen it already Sean, Sonic the Hedgehog the movie, I watched it myself a few years ago with the kids it's very much a kids movie but it was a goodie, how's number two? It is. It's still a goodie. It's a great movie. I know what you mean. I went. I watched it with my daughter, and she loved it. Six years old. I loved it as well. That's what I liked about it because I remember playing the game as a kid, and I was going. Yeah. Sometimes these game translate. They don't translate to the big screen. Sonic really did, and it made a lot of money at the box office. So obviously, we have Sonic Two. Um, it, it delivers. There's some new characters in here. Idris Elba is thrown in as a baddie. Knuckles, for anybody who played the game, will remember Knuckles from the game. And yeah. Tails is in it this time to help Sonic along the way. Um, but it's it's a little bit long, to be honest with you, PJ. I don't agree. Any family movie or kids movie, if it's an hour and a half, I kind of I give them that limit and go, that's perfect. Even an hour 20, absolutely perfect. It's over two hours long. So that's yeah. the only thing I'd say to you is, for the really small ones, you're going to find it tough to keep them like engaged the whole way through. But they will enjoy it. That's a serious cast, though. Idris Elba. 
Wow. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. He's, and he's obviously like, you'll see him in so many things, like from Marvel stuff to this, but he's a, he really works because he's got that husky kind of voice. Yeah. And I, I know it's a brilliant, brilliant impression there, I know. But uh, <laughs> it, it, it really works though in a villain. I'd never thought about it before because he's played a good guy a few times. Um, and uh, I think this for kids, they'll pick up on the kind of the badness he's supposed to be with that yeah. voice. But there is some redeeming qualities, what qualities to the character as well, like there is with Idris Elba in real life. So, no, he works well. I think all these guys really love voicing the cartoon stars. It's easy money, isn't it? I hate to say that, PJ, but you know what I mean? They could, like, we've been in COVID. They can do it from home. I guess it was the perfect thing to do, do a few, uh, a few voiceovers while you're at home during COVID. Uh, but yeah, at the same time, I think they feel like it's a different type of acting because nobody can see you. Obviously, you can't. It's not about the acting of the hands or the face. It's all about the voice. So, yeah, I, I, he works in it, though. In fairness, he delivers well. And as Good. Sonic, um, the, the guy who plays Sonic is back, Ben Schwartz, uh, yeah. who's was really interesting to talk to because I love him in Parks and Recreation. He's in that TV show. Yes, yes. So, so what's the plot? He's, he's looking for an emerald and he has a new partner. Yes. So last time, if you saw the first one, like you saw PJ, we had Jim Carrey's character, Dr. Robotnik, was kicked off to like this mushroom planet at the end. This film literally starts off where the last one ended. So he's on this mushroom planet. He's stuck there. He's going, how am I going to get off? And who pops through one of the ring portals? Only Knuckles, who's obviously, I said, is Idris Elba, who like says, where can I find this Sonic? I found this. He's found like a little blue hair of Sonic. And so that's obviously magic. So he says, come with Dr. Robotnik says, let's go. I can show you where he is. He's on Earth. They go to Earth. Long story short, they're basically after Sonic to basically find find this emerald that will um, give them all sorts of evil powers that they can take over and destroy civilization. So it's a, it's an out there plot, but let's be real. It's a story about a hedgehog that has magic powers. A blue hedgehog. <laughs> yeah, a blue hedgehog. <laughs> <laughs> now, you got a chance to catch up with Jim Carrey. Uh, there's a treat. How's he like? He's so nice. You know, like with my job, obviously I interview a lot of people and I'd say it's maybe one in three who's actually, who, who turns it on for the interview. Because it's hard. I get it. To get, go, these interviews, when you do a junket, they're, they're doing five minute interviews, one after the other for like three days. Do you know that kind mm. of way? So I can see how you get worn out, whatever. Jim Carrey, I've interviewed him before for Dumb and Dumber 2. And it, that was in person. This time it was Zoom. But for both, he literally is so engaged in the minute you, 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 the camera's turned on or when you walk into the room. It's like, because yeah. that's another thing you see in a, a star or a celebrity or whatever. A lot of the time they like don't even talk to you or look, look at you until they literally say, and go, action. Whereas Jim is like, hey, how are you? Where are you from? So right. He's just a really nice guy. It was a real pleasure to chat to him. Yeah. I, I know he's been telling you um, what drew him back. Let, let, let's hear that now first he was just this brilliant guy with a 300 IQ that was a problem to the world but now that he's gone to the mushroom planet and obviously I don't know what happened up there he 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 didn't find the right mushrooms because he came back an angry man uh, <clears throat> but um, you know he got to adopt this green emerald power which is something from the video games that people can look forward to seeing come to life and uh, he ends up being a, a malignant, narcissistic black hole sucking everything in, in the universe into himself, you know? So it's a fantastic thing. And I always look forward to the Halloween costumes, <laughs> you know? I have the, the good fortune of watching, you know, uh, getting pictures from my friends during Halloween where people show up as Ace and the Grinch and all these characters, yeah. you know, it's wonderful. Do you know there's something else about Jim Carrey, Sean? And, and it's this, because in a lot of his own movies where he's the big star, 
he kind of departs from scripts. It's part of what he does. Does does he do that here? Do you think? Or he does. Oh, he definitely does. Because I, I asked him about that, and I've asked him about that before. Because you see, all his characters, if you look back, Ace Ventura, The Mask, yeah. um, do, do you know, Dumb and Dumber, they're all so kind of slapstick, out there, facial, animated kind of characters to play. And he actually said, said when I was interviewing him, that uh, it's, he, he would go in and he'd maybe do 10 different ways of doing a line. And he actually wrote a lot himself. He changed a lot of, a lot of lines. And maybe two out of the 10 would land, would actually be like hilarious and work 100%. And that's what goes in the movie. So he's like, he said he's always writing whether he's on set or not. Um, so it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of amazing. He's, he's obviously a worker because as you say, he's successful. He's made it now. He doesn't have to be working all the time. Yeah. But it sounds like even James Marsden said to me when I interviewed him for this movie, he's back in this movie again in the sequel. And he said his work ethic is unreal. He's like, they're filming at two o'clock and he's there in the morning, like yeah. or at, on his trailer at 9 a.m. kind of going through all the different ideas he has to change it up or whatever. It's impressive. I know you were asking Jim about that, about, you know, adding his own bits in. And he was telling you about that. We'll hear that now. Sure, as much as possible. I, I can do anything I want. Uh, I do write a lot, though. I write at home. I write you know, in the car. I write, you know, I come with what I call a comedy carpet bombing. You know, I just, like, I throw so much at it that, like, maybe two out of ten ideas stays in the movie, you know. And, uh, and but that's, that's kind of my, my style. And then on set, you know, things will happen, too, and you improvise with them. But yeah, it just I just hit it with a ton of stuff. Just one last thing about him, Sean, before I let you go. He's yeah. a big into his manifestation. Like, what's that? That's it. Yeah, that kind of, it, you, know, you know, the book, The Secret, it's yeah. that kind of vibe. Because I'd read this about him before and I was really intrigued as to whether he was still into that. So the famous story is, I don't know whether you heard, Jim Carrey, before he was famous, when he was starting off, he wrote himself a check in his own checkbook for $10 million. Now, he hadn't a penny to his name, but he was like a waiter or something, jobbing, trying to get the audition, blah, blah, blah. So he wrote that check to encourage him. He had to be cast by, I think, Thanksgiving 1995. And uh, he did it. Obviously, he became the superstar and was able to do it. And he said, it's the power of manifestation. It's because he manifests things that that's, um, that that's why it happened. So I yeah. want to know, I think we have a clip. I want to know, like, does he still believe in that? Do you know what I mean? Does he still believe in the power of manifestation now that he's successful? I think there's nothing in that room behind you that wasn't created with a, with a thought first. You know, there's nothing in this world that gets invented without a dream attached to it you know so what all the difference is i dream with a feeling that it already is you know and that's kind of fifth dimensional thinking and and kind of what people a lot more people are coming to to realize has a power you know and uh i really believe in it uh but you got to walk through the doors and you got to do the work you know, and I guess he doesn't have to worry anymore about cashing that check. Is it open this weekend, Sean? It's open this weekend, and I'm telling you, it's going to make a mint because, as I say, there's a built-in audience because the last one worked yeah. um, and was such a success. There's a whole that even if I if I hadn't had to have seen this, which I obviously did for the interviews and everything, I would have gone. And my daughter's already asked me when are we going. It's just that type of movie. Do you reckon that gamers who are old enough to know better? will be borrowing a couple of kids just to go to see it. I think so. I think so. Do you know what? And can I just give a tip, right, to anybody listening? I know I said I was. Uh, I played like uh, Sonic back in the day, which I did, but I wasn't like a 
through and through, through gamer but there was one, one of the people at the, at the screening one of the, the critics was obviously a major gamer so on the way out he said because stay stay to the end is my tip at the end the credits come up like a normal movie but this is like a Marvel movie where yeah. you stay to the end you get a whole other scene right yeah. so that's a tip don't leave your seats and on the way out the gamer guy was like oh my god I can't reveal what he said but it was about the final scene but it was he was basically a total fanboy of, of Sonic and the whole thing so if, gamers will definitely be borrowing anybody's kids in fact maybe I'll, I've seen it now so maybe I'll just get, get somebody like my parents or sorry some gamer to take my kids to take out yeah to see, to see it brilliant Sean good talking to you have a nice weekend you too great to speak to you PJ Sonic the Hedgehog to Sean Rosangi from F- on FM 104, their entertainment correspondent. Just before we go, some more responses to Andrea. Remember, her son gets 15 euro from his grandparents, and she's wondering, should she let him spend it all on credit for his video games uh, like he wants to, or should she try to get him to hold some back and learn how to save? And it's leading to rows in the house, as these things will if it was my child, I'd be telling him to save five and use the ten on game credit. He's lucky to even get ten credit for gaming. I think that's the point she's making. He has more money to spend on gaming than an awful lot of other kids have in their pocket for the week. PJ, mine wash the wear in the morning when we're gone to work. They get a tenner. If there's no wear washed, then we take away two euros per day when the wear isn't washed. And it works, says Robbie. Uh, love the show. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.